They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebadi, came to him, teacher, and they said, we want you to do this, to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with John. James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark's gospel doesn't have a Christmas story in it. If we go back to chapter 1, it begins with, just with Jesus at age 30. But I want you to uh, remember that in Luke's uh, rendition of, the, of his gospel, he's writing to a different audience, uh, different things in mind as he writes. But he begins with Jesus' birth. And in there you have hints of the cross that are the birth of Jesus is actually shadowed in the cross. And the reason I bring that up is because Mark's gospel, many have said this, have noticed about it, that about a third of it, it really slows down once you get into the Passion Week, and all more than a third of the book is really about that week. And that everything, here's how some people have said, is that everything in Mark's gospel is just an introduction until you get to Holy Week, and that shadow of the cross gets cast back all the way back to chapter one. If you're looking for it, you'll find it. And we would say all the way back to the birth of Christ, so that when Mary uh, is holding Jesus in her arms uh, in Luke, uh, there's a man that comes up to her named Simeon, who's very old, and he looks at her and he says a lot of wonderful things, but then he says, that this, this event in your life, the birth of this son, it will pierce your soul at some point. And that's a reference to her son dying on a cross, an instrument of torture uh, and death from the Roman world. So um, all to say that let's just do a little review here on Mark's gospel, that he begins, Mark does in chapter one at, with Jesus at age 30, and it's almost as if God has torn open the world and just speaks into it through the life of this 
man named Jesus who begins to do amazing things and say amazing things, and he's, he's like a superhero action figure, if you will, just to use some language that we're used to. And he goes around and he heals people. He touches people. They're made new. Um, he feeds 5,000. He calms the water. He walks on water. Amazing stuff. The crowds love him. And underneath all of that, that's the major theme. The minor theme is that he's stirring up trouble. But, We'll hold that thought because this major theme reaches a crescendo in chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, where everybody is kind of asking the question, who are you? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah or you are the Christ. And at that point, we think, okay, that seems like a climax, but it's penultimate. It's not ultimate. It's just a a high point. And immediately after uh, Peter confesses that and he gets the answer right, he proves that he doesn't get it as Jesus reveals to him and to his, the others, the other disciples, that he's going to die, he's going to suffer and die, and then be raised up on the third day. He says it point blank, right? You remember, I don't know if you guys remember that, but it's, pretty, it's not coded. It's there. It's to be, written, it's to be read but, or, or heard, but they didn't hear it. They were unable to hear uh, these words. So... Uh, that takes us up to this section called the way section, which is, I'm going to talk about this here geographically like I have tried to do each Sunday, but uh, the first section of Mark is all around Galilee, right here, Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus does his amazing stuff, most of it right here. And then Peter confesses who he is, you are the Christ, up here. And then we begin this long journey and we're going towards Jerusalem. And those are really the three parts of the gospel, this part up through uh, chapter 8, and then this journey, chapters 9 and 10, and then chapters 11 through 16 all all take place down here. So uh, it's an amazing thing. So we're in this section called the way section, meaning um, the road to Jerusalem geographically. The word in the Greek is hodos, and hodos means way, but it also implies a way of life. And Jesus is walking towards his death and resurrection. And he's teaching his disciples now. He's kind of closed off the rest of the crowds. He's teaching them now what it means to walk in the way or in the shadow of the cross. And um, some amazing stuff comes out of here. But one of the things you'll notice is that they don't hear what he's saying. They just... You know, he'll, he'll say three times he gives a prediction that he's going to, and the third one we just read and today, but uh, three times he says, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer and die, and, and then be raised. And each time, right after he says it, they just prove that they don't get it. They do something really kind of crazy or say something crazy. And we've never, not, I mean, we all hear really well, right? We, we would never not hear something clearly and take it in and, and understand it. And um, just re- think of some classroom situations you've been in or whatever. Here is one that um, I'll read for you. The wife says, go to the store, lay down the mulch, wash and wax the car, get the kids at school, rent some videos, and finish the rest of the dishes. And this is what the husband hears. Go, lay down, and get some rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, we all have stories that would relate to that, right? And um, and it wouldn't. It would, it, this is kind of uh, a little, you know, biased towards wives, what they feel. But let me tell you, husbands can say some things too. We have our 
uh, our scrapbooks on this. And um, But the point is that we don't hear things well. And the disciples, just for whatever reason, weren't hearing Jesus. You know, you don't, they, they didn't want to hear him. They, didn't, they heard him, but they didn't want to hear him. They kind of ignored it and hoped that he was just maybe saying something that didn't make any sense. They avoided hearing what he was saying. Uh, anyway, it's in that category. What he's talking about is the cross. And the cross is not something that is naturally uh, a good thing to think about. And uh, they're trying to discern what, what it all means. They, they don't see anything positive in it, and so they just don't hear it. And um, we can say, if we are, if we are, call ourselves uh, followers of Christ, we can say, oh, the cross, it's, I believe in that, but it, it's way beyond believing that. Is, is your life shaped by, do you have a cruciform, that's the word that gets thrown out there, a cruciform, a cross-shaped life. Is, your, is the form of your heart shaped like a cross, where your concern is not me, 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 but God, 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 and others, others, others. I mean, that's a tough deal to live into. But that's what Jesus does. And he shows us a new way to live. So we're going to look at this section on um, hearing Jesus in the third prediction, and then the disciples, the, the section they're on, not getting it, they just can't get it. And then finally hearing Jesus again in what he, what he says there at the end about a ransom, being a ransom. Okay. So let's start with the... Uh, the prediction of his death that he gives here, and um, they were on their way up to Jerusalem. I mentioned last week that the Bible, whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up. It doesn't matter what direction you're coming from because it was up on a mountain. And Jesus was leading the way. Now, uh, on their way up, that's the word hodos. They are on the road up to Jerusalem. And the disciples were astonished. We won't go into why they are, but there were others there who were also following, and they were afraid. Again, Jesus took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen to him. And this is new information, folks, for them. Now, it's different. He's, this is the third prediction, and this is different than the other two. He's going to tell them more detail. He says, we are going to go up to Jerusalem. Now, they didn't know that he was going to, that was going to be the place where these events would happen, but now he's telling them that. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Those would be the Jewish leaders, but they will condemn him to death, and then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. This is the first time that we hear about this, and if you hand someone over to the Gentiles, that would mean the Romans, and how do the Romans put people to death? They're the only ones who put people to death by crucifixion. So this is the first time we hear about the crucifixion. And they will mock him, and they will spit on him, and they will flog him, and then they will kill him. And then he will be raised on the third day. So those are the, he's telling them that. He said that twice before, but this time we have more details. Now there's a heaviness that um, comes with all of this for Jesus. If we think about what what he's feeling. They're getting closer to Jerusalem. And now as you get closer to something, just think about this. If you have a, like, Maybe Christmas Day you're going to have somebody over and you're not sure that you, you know, you, you know you should invite them, but you don't know what's going to happen. And you know you maybe you have to have a hard conversation with them. And the closer you get to Christmas, the harder it gets. It's those kinds of times in life where we have something really, really big that hangs over our hearts. 
And, and some of that has to be going on with Jesus. He's getting closer to the place where all of the, uh, just, I mean, the forces of hell and all the things that are going to come upon him at that point are not something that he's looking forward to, but he just has to go. Luke says he resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. He is determined to go where he doesn't want to go, but he has to go. And if you're going to do life, you're going to have those places, right? You're going to have to have hard conversations. Or you'll have a skim life that's very shallow. But most of us have those kinds. We can at least identify with the hard, the feeling that, that Jesus has. So uh, I'm going to use a little bit of the, the film uh, genre today. Frodo with the ring. When Frodo, uh, from the Lord of the Rings, he's carrying the ring with him. And what Tolkien tells us is that the closer he gets to Mordor, which is where uh, he's going to have to, uh, I I don't want to, I don't know if I'm spilling the, I I don't know, spoiler alert, but you guys have had every opportunity to see this, right? So I'm not going to worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, and um, he's going to have to uh, put the ring and destroy the ring. And this is a ring of great power. And there's a heaviness. The closer he gets to Mordor, the the heavier, the weightier that ring becomes. Now, the weightiness comes in part because it is... it helps him in many situations where he needs help. It, it's powerful. It, it makes him invisible. But it also has this temptation to it that is very dangerous, and it takes him further from his goal, not closer to his goal. Now, I just want to say some of that Jesus would have had. Jesus had all the power to not go to Jerusalem or to go to Jerusalem and defeat all of his enemies. He, I mean, he could have done that. He carries that power within himself. He says so. But he chooses not to use that power. And there's a weight that comes with not using the power that you have. Um, it, it makes it... And if he had used that power, it would have compromised the mission he had. The mission that he has is to defeat death and defeat uh, sin and defeat the devil. That's a pretty tall mission. But the great... I mean, you could say it more positively that the mission he has is to show people the sacrificial love of God and if he uses that power to destroy his enemies instead of loving his enemies, his mission is compromised. That's weight to carry. And he is walking towards that place. So that's the setup for this. This is the prediction that we have. Now, the disciples are, they, immediate, like I said before, immediately after each of these uh, predictions that Jesus gives, the disciples just clearly go into clueless mode. Just absolutely, you can tell, they, like, where did you just not hear what I said? I mean, and so here again, we find the same thing going on. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, and they said, Teacher, uh, we, want to do, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Um, before we consider that, try, by the way, try that as a prayer request sometime with, with, with God. <laughs> just see what you'll, you'll just feel so silly. Oh, oh, Father in heaven, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. I mean, just, you know, if you know the Lord's Prayer, that, that's not how it starts, right? But the, the reason they're not getting it, and let's just focus on this for a second, and I want to use um, another movie example here. You guys, I hope, hopefully you'll know this guy. You know that guy? 
Okay, this is from Princess Bride. Again, if I, I, there's no spoiler alerts here. If you haven't seen it, you've, it's been like 25 years out there now. So, okay, you know. Um, Princess Bride. This is Ignigo Montoya. Uh, and he says lots of things in that movie that... Um, but what's the one word that he keeps saying this about? Yeah, you guys are getting it. Inconceivable. I've used it before and you've seen the movie. So, but he, then he says, uh, I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> you know? And the reason is because he's, and, and isn't he a lovable character, by the way? He's a lovable character. He's kind of um, uh, a little naive and uh, all that. But his, his uh, uh, what do you call uh, What's the right word here? The other guy in, the, in, this, in this story here is a little guy named Vassini. And Vassini is really, really clever. He fashions himself as the smartest man in the world. And he's a little bit cynical. And so when he uses the word inconceivable, he, he, he uses it over everything he says inconceivable about. That whatever he said wouldn't happen just happened, right? And so it's just, and then the, finally he just says, yeah, you, you must not know what that word means. You know what I mean? It's, he's just saying that out of his little naivete. But uh, it's, it's a fascinating thing. But it, I only use it to illustrate that. They're, they're talking past each other here, the, Jesus and the disciples. It's just like that. And it's, it is truly inconceivable to the disciples that Jesus would go to Jerusalem and die so they can't hear it. So they asked this request of Jesus. Would, teacher, would you do for us whatever we ask? And it's like, a, just give me a blank check and I'll fill it in, kind of a thing. And uh, Jesus remarkably doesn't scold them for asking that way. I mean, I would, I mean, just in my, if I had that in my prayer life, I would kind of expect something like, what, what do you, what do you think you're doing here? That's not the way we start our prayers. But um, he he puts up with their request, or at least takes it a little further, and. Um, what he says to them is, what do you want me to do for you? And that doesn't mean he's going to do it. And they'll be thankful that he doesn't as, as it plays out. But he does say, what, what do you want? What do you want? Now, this is a, a really important line. And Jesus will use this same language elsewhere. If you're looking for it, you'll find it. He asks people what they want. Because when you say what you really want, your heart is revealed. I've, I've learned this in my um, pastoral counseling that um, I, I noticed it's, it's one of the best things I can do after a person, and I'm not uh, putting, I don't mean to, uh, people, life is hard. Isn't life hard? We all have need for people to help us get through this journey where darkness can be there, gray areas can be there, complexities can be there. It's hard to just live this life out, and we need help along the way, and so people would come for help. And I've noticed that we, there's usually a period where you talk about the problem, and then you try to, you know, try to just get past it. But one of the things that helps to get to the next phase is to ask that question, what do you want? And, it, and then what comes next reveals what's on the heart, and it's helpful to get those words out. Just what do you want? So what they say in terms of what they want is a very, very large request. They say that we would like to sit, James and John, and they're, they're part of the inner group that knows Jesus the best, you'd think. And they, we, Jesus, when you come in your glory, we would like to sit, one of us on the right and the other on the left. And um, they have in mind a glory that 
is kind of a make Israel great again glory that would go back a thousand years to the time of David when for the period of David's reign as king and for about half of Solomon, his son's reign, around 1000 BC, Israel was truly a world power. And there has always been within Israel from that time on a longing, at least in the hearts of some, for a return to that glory. And this is where the Messiah, expectations of Messiah come in, that we could return to that world power status. And God will do a big thing. And they're getting this sense now, rightly, that God is going to do a big thing when they get to Jerusalem. But they're missing what's going to happen. And so they say, we would like to sit on the right and the left. Jesus uh, graciously says to them that that's not going to work. And then he talks about this thing about the cup. A cup is something that you share with someone, could be really good or really bad. And a baptism, and it's not a water baptism like we would talk about here. A baptism, the word simply means an immersion. And so you're going to share, you're going to be immersed in something called suffering and death. But they, he doesn't use that, he doesn't come out and say it there, but that's the implication that this is, you can't share in this, you're not ready to share in this. Now here's what they're, this is the huge irony that uh, you have to uh, come to grips with. When they're asking to share, when Jesus is, is ascended or lifted up or exalted, that's what they're expecting. But they're not expecting that it'll be on a cross, that he'll be lifted up. And those places on the left and the right are already taken by two criminals or thieves. And this is why it is, be careful what you ask for, right? I mean, just think about that. They're, they're expecting a glory to be part of this, and this is what they get. And Jesus knows that. He know, Jesus already has this in his mind. He knows this is what they're asking for, and he knows that they can't do it. He knows they're going to flee. They're going to wimp out. They're going to run. When, they're, when, they're, when the time comes for decisions to be made, are you with me or against me, they flee him. And, and so they're, 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 they're just, they're, they're, uh, boyish naivete here is, is over the top. They don't understand what they're asking for. But Jesus says to them, yes, You will, though, eventually, he doesn't use that word, but that's the implication, eventually you will drink from this cup and you will be baptized in the suffering and death that I'm going through. And that's the story of the rest of the Bible, how James and John and the others, James is the first martyr of the 12. He he actually does, uh, he is killed. And then um, John is, uh, as far as we know, he he lived to be an older person, but he was maybe had the most suffering along the way. So Jesus sees into their future, exactly. And he affirms that, yeah, someday you'll be there, but you're not ready yet for this. This is really good on prayer when we're praying and we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers the way we would hope. (laughs) You have to be careful what you ask for. When he can see the future and we can't, maybe we should trust him for his answer. Well, uh, as the story goes on, the other ten disciples are indignant, Mark says, at what these two, you know. Truth be told, the other ten were probably just jealous that they hadn't thought of it first and kind of annoyed that they hadn't thought of it first, you know. But now that they see Jesus is, is against these two, then they're jumping on board too. It's really kind of, the whole thing's kind of childish. And that's what Jesus is putting up with on the way. When he's going to the cross, I want you to see how alone he is. 
as he's the only one who gets it. He's the only one who understands. Okay, so then Jesus says to them, this is the, that's the disciples not getting it. And then it ends with the, uh, uh, he gathers them around and he said, basically he's saying, look guys, come on, let's huddle up. I want you to hear what I have to say really, really clearly again. And he says to them, the, the way the, the world works, I'm paraphrasing, but the way the world works is that people accumulate, they keep, and they use their power over other people. That's just the way it is. Is that true today? I mean, it, did I read the headlines wrong today? Isn't that just exactly what's going on? People accumulate power, try to keep it, use it over other people. They manipulate. I'm telling you, folks, it's true here, it's true everywhere. And Jesus says, that's not the way we're going to do life. We're going to do it differently. And you're going to be a servant to those uh, who might otherwise be under you. You're going to serve them. And I'm going to show you how to do it. And I'm going to, that's why we're going on the way here. We're on the way to Jerusalem where I will become a ransom for many. And a ransom is somebody who pays the price so that someone else can be set free. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to pay the price so that uh, we can be set free. And did you know this, that you either, there's two categories here. You either were an enemy of God or you are an enemy of God. Because an enemy of God, all an enemy of God is, is somebody who puts themselves in the center of their life. And that's what Jesus is, is not doing. He's showing us a different way to do life. Is it easy or hard to not put yourself in the center of your life? Isn't it like the hardest thing ever? Isn't it like dying? That's exactly right. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He is my ransom. Now, before we, just one more thing. Back to the word glory. So is there a glory in the cross? If you were to come across, uh, it says about, this is the prediction from Isaiah, that when people looked upon the cross, upon, upon the, uh, the suffering servant, they would turn their heads away from him. They would cringe because they couldn't stand to see that. Now, but who could? I mean, there's, I guess there are kind of like the rubberneck thing, you know, on the roads there where you, everybody wants to see what happened. But look at what you're looking at here. You're looking at somebody who's been bloodied, who's been spit upon, who's been mocked, who's been flogged, who's been killed. And, and, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not something that would attract us naturally. So where is the glory in the cross? Is there a glory in the cross? The glory in the cross is that he chose to be there. He is not a martyr. Jesus is not, there's no way that he's a martyr. He's not dying uh, out of just, you know, something's happening to him that others are, you know, the, the events of life have finally caught up to him and he's going to have to die for his faith. That's not the way it works. He's walking towards Jerusalem. He has the power to not go there, but he chooses not to use that power. There's a glory that he chooses to say, this is what God is like. I can't tell you more clearly what God is like than that he would die for his enemies. Who else would die for their enemies? The Bible asks that question. And, no, and the answer is nobody. Nobody else would die for their enemies. Maybe for their friends, but not for their enemies. This is the love of God in Jesus Christ that is there for us. 
He wanted to make that clear. So what I'd like to do right now is, is uh, just lead us in a prayer based on that verse I just quoted from Galatians. And uh, open your heart. Open your heart to God. Allow God to tear open your heart to receive Jesus this morning. Let's pray. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer the I who wants, greed takes over, lust takes over. All those things take over. Lord, have your way. Take the I of me and replace it with you, the one who who loves and who has God and others on their minds. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, hear our prayer. Uh, Hear our prayer. Renew us in our taste, in our hunger for you in the center of our lives and for the cross-shaped life. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak those words of truth. Make them real to us. May the response of our hearts be amen to what you have said. Jesus Christ, come and renew us, we pray in your name. Amen.